Good morning, City Church Eastside. I love every time, I'm going to say this every time I get the chance to preach, I love how we say thanks be to God because we can be reminded that we are thankful for God and His provision to give us His Word. Because He loves us and He wants us to get to know Him better. That's an amazing thing. That's pretty awesome. Um, If we can get to know more after today, that'd be great. Um, But first, let's talk about an important thing that happens in Mercedes-Benz Stadium every once in a while, and that's Atlanta United football games, soccer matches. If you've been to Atlanta United game, you know this. They have $1.50 hot dogs, uh, $3 slices of pizza, your favorite beverage. Um, If you don't like soccer, it's still a really fun time, really fun atmosphere. Jackie and I are not the biggest soccer fans, but we like to think of ourselves as pretty good, like fair weather uh, Atlanta United fans when we get tickets. Um, you know, the crazy thing about soccer is it's not just an American thing. It's pretty global. It's actually the most popular global sport. And when you get in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, before the game, you're getting to your seat, you're getting your hot dogs, and you're cheering the chants uh, throughout the game. Hopefully you're celebrating the win after they win. It feels like you're on another level of like, man, this is awesome. It's really like the, the United part of Atlanta United. Why they call it Atlanta United, I don't know, but it feels good to be united to the city. Whether you're in Buckhead or Southwest Atlanta, you're all in the stadium all at one time, and it's amazing, especially if they win. It's really fun. But what's, uh, once you realize that the game is over, you win or lose, uh, if you're like Jack and I, you're a couple minutes away, so you take the Marta back, or maybe you drive back home. You realize when you get home, the next couple hours, you might be reveling like, hey, that was such a fun game, or like, uh, kind of a bummer, kind of sulking, we kind of lost, we should have won that one. What you want in the community is something that lasts longer than 90 minutes, right? You get the deep sense of Atlanta United, that was a really fun uh, experience, but it doesn't give you a long-lasting community and long-lasting fellowship. These two passages today are actually going to, we're going to dive in to, to see what that looks like. What does it look like to have a fellowship and community that goes deeper than just Sunday mornings? This is encouraging. So we're going to start in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 25. Let me read it again for us. Um, this is the second part. I'll, I'll do 24 and 25. Let us not consider, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're going to see tonight, today, um, getting into these verses, that not neglecting to meet together, that doesn't, that is, oh, I'm going to back up, see if that works. Not neglecting to meet together doesn't just mean on the Sundays. We're going to look at this in three ways, three aspects of what this community could look like. One, we're going to look at the unique aspect of Christian fellowship. Why is it different? Why does it matter? Uh, two, we're going to look at the nature or the characteristics of Christian community. What is it made of? And three, we're going to look at the source, the source of Christian community. Where do we get this? So there's going to be a lot of uh, toggling between these two passages, but if you have your bulletin or you can stay focused on the screen, we'll do that. We'll see how these two passages kind of mingle in to see this is an important thing, this is a good thing. We can be encouraged today by God's word. So verse 25, I just, I just read it for us. The Greek word, this can be a little teachy for a moment, but the Greek word when it says to meet together, that's actually the Greek word like synagogue. And so it's not just um, the idea of like, okay, uh, I'm going to encourage you on Sunday mornings. 
Do you get the most encouraged on Sunday mornings from your neighbors? Um, I would say no. It's, it's usually deep friendship between the Sundays, what Scott was just talking about, where you get to truly know each other. This is like DNA groups. You get to know how you're really doing. It's not just a surface-level conversation or grabbing coffee, which is great, by the way. Um, and so we need fellowship that is more than just meeting on Sundays. Verse 24, this, this Greek word, again, sorry to be teaching for a minute, but the one another, there's an aspect where this means mutuality. So it's not just a one-way street. You're encouraging one another, you're stirring one up, and in some translations it's spurring one another to love and good works. But this is a two-way street. Earlier in the Hebrews, pretty much to give a deep dive, a quick deep dive in the Hebrews, there's, we're starting at, at chapter 10, the middle of chapter 10. For 10 chapters, the author of Hebrews is setting this up to say, hey, Jesus, he's actually better than the old way of doing things. He's writing to Israelites that were tempted to go back to the old way of doing things in the Old Testament. He's saying he's a better Moses. He's better than the old priesthood. He's better than the sacrificial system because he was the sacrifice. So the beginning of Hebrews 10, he mentions how sacrifices, you don't need to do them anymore because Jesus has taken, he is the sacrifice. And now, verse 19, what does that mean? That's where the therefore comes from. So instead of reading the first 18 verses of, of chapter 10, just gave you a little snippet. Therefore, because Christ has done this, he is our sacrifice. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. A few verses later, Hebrews 10, 22, it says, Let us draw near the true heart and full assurance of faith. How can we draw near and have confidence? Because the, the work of Jesus is by his blood. And that's an encouraging thing. And because of that, we can draw near to each other in community. This is why C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think the church has many purposes. You have education, building, missions, holding services, but the purpose of all those purposes is one. The church has no other purpose than to draw people in to Christ, to make them little Christ. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals, the missions, the sermons, even the teaching of the Bible, simply a waste of time. As John Wesley has been known to, said, to say, he used to say, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. It's not even a category in the Bible to be a Christian, to follow God by yourself. It's always been a community aspect. It's part of the deal. This is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the Christ in my brother's heart is often bigger than the Christ in my own. And you might be thinking, that sounds weird. Christ bigger. What he's saying is, when he's around other brothers, he's encouraged in ways where he doesn't view Christ or he's not getting uh, something out of the word that another person has. So you see this mutuality. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. The body. You need all parts of the body. So friends... This community, this fellowship, Christian community, we're meant to do this together. 
this is unique because it's, in a way, irreplaceable. Because Jesus, because the work of he's done, we can draw near to him, draw near to God, and draw near to each other. And that's amazing. So first of all, we, we've seen like why it's unique, this Christian community. What is it actually made of? Verses uh, 23 through 25 in Hebrews 10, we're going to look at that. And we're going to have four minor points, if you will. We'll get to that in a minute. Let me reread these verses. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the nature and characteristics based on these verses, you see in verse 23, we're a community that has hope. We can hold fast to the confession of our hope because of the verses that we just read of 19 through 22, what Jesus has done for us. We can have confidence because Jesus has entered in. He's torn the curtain. And just, I don't know if you're, everyone's familiar with the Old Testament, but this language of blood of Jesus, uh, this is referring to the sacrificial system. So in the Old Testament, you actually couldn't draw near to God unless you were the high priest. And then only once a year, Yom Kippur, right? With Jesus' death, the curtain's ripped, and we have access. And that's what we need, right? We need to be near to God. If I'm on my own, I'm selfish. And you're going to see me sinning and like, it's just going to be bad. And sin loves isolation. So if you've sinned and you're not confessing it to your brother or your sister, you're going to love to be in darkness. But because of what Jesus has done, we can actually be near to God. It's okay to be near and actually a good thing to be near each other in this way. also going to look at Acts uh, 4, verse 32 real quick. Um, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. No one said that any of these things belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. First of all, you might be thinking, that sounds like communism. It's not. They weren't required by the government to do that. Um, as Scott preached last week, this is out of a generous heart because of the abundance you've been given in Christ. What he's done for you is he's died for you, and so out of that, you can give your possessions away. And it's crazy because if I was preaching in any other church in Atlanta, I couldn't say this, but this church community, you have concrete examples of the fellows. These are people, host families of the fellows that are saying, this is not my house totally. This is God's, so I'm going to host this fellow. This grocery bill, this utilities bill, I'm going to share it because actually I have an abundance of what Christ has given me. That's an amazing thing for me to be able to say, like, in this congregation, I can see, is it seven Seven specific, yeah, seven, last year's eight. Concrete examples of how we do this well. This is amazing. This is encouraging to me. This is awesome. So four minor points. I said a couple minutes ago I'd get to them. Verses 24 and 25, we're going we're gonna to look at how the nature of a Christian community. We have considering. We're going to have spurring, the, the word for stirring up. We're going to have encouraging and working. First of all, let's talk about considering. Considering. Being intentional. Being thoughtful. 
I think of conversations I have, and a lot of times I'm I'm thinking about what I'm next going to say, and like, oh, here's a story that's going to be like kind of one-upping maybe, or I don't know, uh, just not being the great the greatest listener sometimes. And you think I don't know if how many of y'all um, have been to counseling, very pro counseling, always wave the pro counseling flag. Jackie and I were in grad school. She was in PT school, and I was in seminary. Uh, the first three years of our marriage, three and a half, four, I was in, she got out before me. But afterwards, we realized, wow, we really go, we really need to go see Mike for counseling in the best way possible. We we probably just been missing each other the past few years, and Mike's really trained counselor, and so we need to do that. And some of y'all, a lot of y'all have met with Mike, either as a couple or one-on-one. And what does he do? He listens. He takes notes. And he pinpoints, like, wow, that is part of your story. And here's how it connects back to how God loves you. And it's magnificent. Again, very pro-counseling. If you haven't seen Scott or Mike, go see them. And why do I mention that? Because part of considering, it'd be kind of weird if we were having conversations at, um, at lunch after this, and I started taking notes. But mentally, can you be taking notes and, and be saying, okay, if I'm supposed to be helping my brother and sister in Christ, how how could I help them? Not just try to one-up them in storytelling, like I, I personally do a lot. So that, that's one aspect is considering. Do you have people in your life that can say, how can I help you? Or are you thinking about friends that you have that you can say, Man, how can I help them this way? How, let me consider this. That's the first thing. Consider. Second is the word stir, stir up. Or stir up. Um, some translations, if it's not ESV, you might have spurring. And you think of a cowboy and a, and a horse with cowboy boots and spurs. The Greek word is actually to irritate, but not like, oh, that's irritating. Like, my team didn't win. Whoopsies. It, this Greek word, irritate, means to hurt, actually, and help guide. Um, similar to the word like goad. And you see this, that uh, a great illustration of this is any like Greek mythology fans out there? No? We got a couple. Okay, yeah, yeah. So if you've, if you've heard of the Odyssey, read that in high school. Most high schools, I don't know. Is that still a thing? Probably. It's a classic. Um, so Odysseus, when he's on his way back, you know the, the classic story of the sirens. He knows he's going to go past this this island where the sirens, these gorgeous women who can sing uh, just really good. They're really good at singing. They get you in a trance, and if you're a guy, you're like, whoa, i got to go like towards the sirens. The only thing is, there's rocks right there before you get to the island. So all the sailors are like, this is amazing, and then dead, like you're dead. They're the rocks. There's the whole ship, shabam. And Odysseus, he knows this, right? And so what does he tell his uh, his crew? He says, Tie me up to the mast, and so I can't get anywhere. And I'm gonna be, I'm gonna start saying crazy things to like start going towards the sirens. Don't let me do that. So he has them put wax in their ears and says, "Don't let me go towards the island until we're way past it." And this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Christian community. Why? He's essentially saying. Don't give me what I want. Give me what I need. And friends, that's how we can spur each other on as Christians to each other and say, what do you need? Not just what do you want, what's comfortable. The Bible says some really uncomfortable things. Go down the list of the Ten Commandments and you're like, oh man, it's really convenient to lie. The Bible says not to. Do you have someone that could say, 
hey, this is what you need. I know it would be really easy to to fall out of, uh, to, to cheat on your taxes, for example. It would be really easy to, uh, you know, have sex outside of marriage. But actually the Bible ha- has all these hard sayings. If you're aware of that and you know that's actually good and life-giving, it would be a good thing to metaphorically, as you will, put your friend time around the, <laughs> the mass or put wax in the ears and say, that, that's going to kill you. That's the second thing how the community is, is spurring. You have ways that you can uh, call friends to life, spurring them on. And that'd be kind of discouraging if there wasn't the next thing, encouragement. If you're only getting metaphorically slapped on there to say, hey, come here, come here, without actually being encouraged, friends, we need encouragement. This is really good news that this is part of our DNA of community is like we need to be encouragers, but we also need to be encouraged. Have you ever been down in the dumps and had someone encourage you? I think I, y'all might not know, I, I like to run and, and bike, and sometimes you can get like really mentally just out of it. So I've been on a run before, and sweaty, you're tired, and be like, man, I should not have like picked this route. I went four miles, and that means I have to go four miles. I'm running eight miles today. What am I doing? But have you ever been encouraged when you've been so down, like, in your head, and people, like, a simple, like, wow, you're doing great. Keep going. This is a silly running example, but I tell you what, like, my running form, actually, like, I stand up. I'm like, yeah, thank you so much. You don't even know me. Wow. What about the people you do know? Have you been encouraged by your spouse, and it means so much because they actually know you? By your parent or by your child that says, wow, you're doing a great job. The last 18 months, uh, as David prayed for us, has been hard on people in ministry. And I think of Scott, like, we need to encourage Scott. We need to encourage our leaders. Have you thought about the last 18 months, about how you've probably felt lows a lot of times? How many times it would be awesome if you were encouraged? Or if you saw someone in a pit, and you're like, hey, I love you, man. Jesus loves you. You're doing great. Like, keep going. Like, that, it's hard to put to words how much encouragement can mean unless you've been encouraged or been the one encouraging. This is part of what we're called to do as a Christian community, though. It's so powerful and so needed. This is why in Acts, uh, this is awesome specific example, Acts 4, verse 36 in 37, you have this guy named Joseph, also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. Amazing nickname, by the way. I would love to have that nickname. A Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is a concrete example of, Luke's pretty intentional about this, the, the author of Acts. This is his intro into saying, like, here's how the early church functions. You don't have to sell a field and give it, but he did. Um... But later on, he is the one that sticks up for Paul. Recently converted from Saul, he's the one that says to the apostolic circle, hey, he's actually one of us. He's, he's cool. And then half the New Testament is made up, of, <laughs> is made up from, uh, from Paul's perspective, his letters. Barnabas was so known for being an encourager that this is his nickname. He was actually the one that sticks up for John Mark as well, later in Acts. 
People were being saved because of how encouraging Barnabas was in his preaching the word as well. And even if you're not a Christian today, don't you want to be like this guy Barnabas? This sermon's not about Barnabas, by the way, but don't you want to be an encourager? And don't you want to feel encouraged when you need it? We've all felt the need to be encouraged. Lastly, this, this final point of the nature of Christian community is the working, the good deeds. So it's to spur each other up to love and good deeds. This is happening, again, mostly between the Sundays. Um, I, I think of, th- there's a couple different aspects I want to talk about. There's, there's practical aspect of this, um, and then there's also this idea of a marginal side of this. So first of all, I'll explain what those mean. The practical side, I'm thinking personally, uh, Jackie, my wife, had surgery last summer, and it was a big deal. It was a big need that afterwards we had so many people reach out and give us meals, and it like meant the world to us. She was in a place of need. And so there's like a practical aspect of like, man, meal trains really are amazing. <laughs> After having a baby or having a loved a loved one pass away, meal trains, this is not a sermon about meal trains, but it is a fact that meals really do wonders. That's a practical aspect. It's also a fact that a very menial thing is much as like making sure you get across the road safely, being an usher, or saying hey to you when you get uh, welcomed into City Church, or helping with city kids upstairs. These are all very menial things, but actually they're good works that in this community we're made for. We're made for good works in our Christian community. So first of all, you have this practical aspect. These, these needs that need to be met, we see in Acts, there's needs that need to be met. We can, we can have the, the confidence of, hey, I, I can do that. It doesn't have to be something over our heads, like, hey, I'm not qualified for that. This is saying we, we are qualified to practically help out our neighbor in need. But also, I think about the marginal, the neglected. As David read for us in Deuteronomy, there's a whole chapter about the Sabbath and about, hey, if you're poor, look at your brother and help him, help him out. So much so that if you're not looking for the neglected in the community, that it's actually a sin in Deuteronomy, where there'd be poor people not taken care of. But it's not just the poor. Think of no matter what your background is, no matter where you're coming from and what culture, you buy, could be jokes, could be subtle hints, were probably uh, raised to look down upon another group of people. I'll give a couple of silly examples and real examples. A silly example would be, I went to Tennessee, so I looked down upon people that, you know, Florida fans. Or you could be like a Georgia fan, you're like, Georgia Tech, wow. Or if you're at Georgia Tech, it's an engineering school, and you're like, man, business degree, are you kidding me? I'm not an engineer at Georgia Tech. Those are some silly examples. Some other examples might be like, uh, you know, people groups, like uh, overtly racist, like, oh, they're like not as good. Whatever the case is, we're called now in the Christian community to love them. Love the marginal. We're supposed to love those that aren't getting loved on to provide their needs too. And a perfect example of this is the story uh, I first heard in RUF um, about 10 years ago, actually. And you might have heard it if you're familiar with Tim Keller. 
he preached on it, um, or he's used it as an illustration a couple times while he's preached in the past years. There's this Christian speaker named Tony, and he went to Honolulu, Hawaii, for this conference, and um, there's like a six-hour time difference, and so he gets there, it's like 3 a.m., and he is wide awake. He's like, well, I guess I'm going to go to a diner because I'm pretty hungry and I'm wide awake. So he goes to what I don't think is Waffle House, but we're here in Atlanta, so we're going to call it a Waffle House. Right? It feels right. Somewhere like a diner, kind of open 24-7, and feels a little sticky when you get in there, but the food's going to be amazing. You know the place. And I'm getting hungry now, just thinking about it. And so he goes there, and he's overhearing this conversation, um, this woman named Agnes, and turns out that she's a prostitute. She's talking with her friend, and the next day is her birthday. And her friend's like, what are you, got any big plans? Like, what are you going to do? And she's like, no, nah, i you know, kind of never been celebrating my birthday. And so Agnes and her friend, they leave. And Tony, this Christian speaker, walks up to the chef, um, Waffle House chef, and is like, hey, man, do you know them? He's like, yeah, I know everyone who comes in late at night. Well, could you, could you call all of, like, Agnes's friends or, like, text them? We're going to, like, celebrate Agnes and throw her a birthday party. I'll get the cake. I'll get everything you need. But can, can you do that? This, this guy, the chef, was like, absolutely. That'd be awesome. So sure enough, 2.30 a.m. the next night, all of her friends, Tony didn't realize, were also prostitutes come in and help put up streamers and banners, and there's this awesome cake. And sure enough, at like 3.30, Agnes strolls in, and she's overwhelmed. She starts crying. She says, I've never been celebrated on my birthday. And as they're about to cut into the cake, she says, actually, can I, would you mind, like, can I just take this home real quick? And everyone's like, absolutely, take the cake home. And she's like, yeah, I'll be back. And it's kind of this awkward pause of like, well, we just brought the celebrator, but she's going back home, so she'll come back. Uh, and Tony says, hey, do you all mind if I pray for, pray for Agnes real quick? And so he prays for her while she's not there, while she's waiting to return. And afterwards, the chef comes up to Tony and was like, hey, man, you didn't tell me like you were like a Christian, like, I don't know, preacher or anything. Like, what kind of church do you work in? Tony said this. The kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 a.m. And the chef said, no way there's a church like that. If there was, I would join it. What did the chef see that was so attractive about Christian community? It was love and service to the marginal. Friends, I, I want to encourage you that we've talked about how, how do we live up in and out here at City Church. You might be familiar with that language. How do we relate to God? How do we relate to ourselves, DNA groups? How are we in the Christian community encouraging each other? And then we think about the out. How can we love our neighbor? How can we love those in Virginia Highlands? How can we love those in Grant Park, in southwest Atlanta, in the, the whole east side of Atlanta? How are, are we loving people like Agnes? If you're not a part of City Church, don't you want to be a part of a Christian community that would love someone like that? You'd be like, yeah, I want to join that church. That'd be amazing. Even though we don't do it perfectly, I see that City Church does it so well on so many levels, and I'm encouraged 
and I say, yes, kudos, let's keep on getting better at this. That's the nature, characteristics of Christian community. Finally, this is going to be the shortest, almost done, the source of Christian community. Where do we even get this? Acts, verse th- uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Right before the passage uh, that we looked at, it says this. When they had prayed, they, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer. Christ actually says this is more, this is better than if Christ was still around. It's kind of crazy to think about that he's given us his Holy Spirit to be in us. So we have boldness, the Holy Spirit. What else do we have? A couple verses later, verse 33. With great power, you have boldness, you have power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There's power in the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, Paul said, I mean, we're kind of be, be pitied as Christians. But if it's real, there's actual power. This is life-changing. This gives us boldness. This gives us power. This is our source of Christian community. Verse 19 again in, in, chapter, in chapter 10 of Hebrews says this. I want to read it again, and I've read it once. Therefore, brothers, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Think about the word confidence. You think about, kind of means just like speak freely. And so if you think about a resume or a job interview or a presentation, you think about blurting something out, it's not that idea as much because you're thinking about every single word that you say. Confidence is what you see. It's like a five-year-old asks you, like, hey, can we go to Disney World this weekend? Like, yeah, you're pretty confident about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, or no, it's actually, we're not going to Disney World. I'm so sorry. I love your confidence, though. What we have, friends, in community, because Jesus' blood, we have access to him. We have access to God. Not only that, we have the confidence to go take a deep dive into community and say, I've sinned. Here are my sins. Can you help me? Can you encourage me? By the power of your spirit, Lord, can you help us be more like Christ? Do you see this? Y'all are probably familiar with this verse, the, the wages of sin. You'd probably say, yeah, I know that verse in Romans, the wages of sin are death. The wages of sin, in, in a different way, the wages of sin are aloneness. So when you've sinned, like I said earlier, sin loves to be in the darkness and not to be found out. So when you have when you have sin that's unrepentant or um, people don't know about, you, you feel alone. You see this in season two of I had to say it, Ted Lasso. When Nate is dealing with a lot of trauma and he's making things about himself, he doesn't actually engage in community. He does a lot of hiding and blaming. If you don't know about Ted Lasso, I'll have a conversation with you later and encourage you to watch Ted Lasso. But we all know this. We've sinned, and we, we don't want to tell others about our sin. And so you see Jesus. You see him alone. The Trinity, we're going to talk about this in Theology 101 for everyone going to that tonight. Amazing. Um, shout out to Theology and uh, Orthodoxy. You see that 
Jesus is in the perfect community before creation. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, God the Father. He leaves that. He leaves the riches of being in this perfect community and loving, serving each other to be among us. Be a carpenter for 30 years. And then after three years of ministry to be abandoned by his closest friends that he'd spent three years building relationships with. He's abandoned in the garden. He's abandoned on the cross, even by his father. Why or why have you forsaken me? Why am I alone, in other words? Friends, Jesus has taken the consequences of our sin, of being alone, and he's taken that to the cross. He has been alone for us. He was forsaken for us so that we are never forsaken by him. And that gives us great confidence and boldness. have a Christian community that actually goes deep to the core, that can encourage each other, that can spur each other on, that can be considerate of each other, that can do good works for not only those in our tribe, but those that we've looked down upon, those that need love the most. If you're like me, you're like, man, that seems almost like a pipe dream to love people like that. This is what we're called to be as a church, and it's something to strive for. But something that Jesus has done for us, he's taken our sin and our shame so we can deal with that in community. That's an invitation for us. Let me pray. God, thank you that you have taken our sin and shame to the cross. Thank you that we have, we have your body, the church, that can be an encouraging thing to one another. Lord, help us think of one another. Help us spur one another and encourage one another. We need love and we need encouragement. Lord, and for those that don't know you, we need to encourage them and love them and provide for them. Lord, where we see needs, would you help us give to their needs? That would be a huge, huge blessing. We ask this in your name. Amen. One of the things that uh, is true is that in the sermon, there are multiple places for you to kind of drop in. I certainly think that way about a sermon. I always think in terms of like, hey, well, that point, that really applies here, or drop-in points. And so the, the confession that we're about to do here is an opportunity for us to say, where were those drop-in points for us? As you heard Matt preach, uh, where did you drop in? Where did you say, man, that, that pricked my conscience?